Amen. Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to please turn to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24 for this morning's passage. You can also find it in very small print on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's message. I'd mentioned last week as we're making our way through the book of Genesis, uh, this chapter really is one lesson. It's one big um, uh, teaching. It's a, a moment in time. It's the finding of Rebekah for Isaac, uh, and really should be thought of as one unit. Uh, and so we took the first 27 verses last week. We will take the remainder this morning. It is a large chunk of Scripture. It'll be a large text, especially for us this morning. Um, but the overall themes will come through all the better if we see it in a larger unit. And so I encourage you to follow along with me. This, of course, is that continuation of um, the servant being sent by Abraham. Abraham makes his servant swear an oath to go and find a wife for his son, for Isaac. And he does so. He goes uh, to um, this land. He finds Rebekah after praying unto the Lord. She gives the sign that was asked by the Lord. Uh, and now, where we pick up, we go back to her home uh, her family's home, and interact with her uh, mother and her brother, Laban. And then at the conclusion, we will see finally uh, the wedding of Isaac and Rebekah. And as we do this, as we look through this passage, we really are going to see several themes. A lot of things are going to come uh, out or going to jump out at us. But even now, I want us to be thinking about how trust in God, how resting, relying upon God and God's Word changes, morphs, directs the direction of our lives. And this becomes more and more apparent as we read through God's Word, particularly in our passage today. And so with that being said, I do invite you to please look with me as I read for us uh, this extended section, Genesis chapter 24. I'll pick up where we left off last week, which is verse 28. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out, of, ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came into the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given his flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys, and Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. 
and if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came to the spring today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way I go, behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And it will say to me, drink, I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelet on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, This thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with her ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my ways. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. May your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Now Isaac returned from Beer Lahi, and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please go with me to the Lord in prayer as we ask his blessing upon this time. Dear Heavenly Father, what a beautiful story. What a beautiful moment in history that we have read and heard from your word. Father, would you impress upon us your sovereignty, your guiding hand, your provision for your people. Lord, would you remind us this day that we are your people, a particular people, and that we here gathered today are fulfillment of the promises made in this text. Help us to trust you, love you, worship you, and follow you all the more by the reading and hearing of your word. Through the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. 
As we're beginning our look at this passage this morning, I feel the need to apologize for a joke that I made last week. Um, it's, it's, to be honest, it's kind of weighed heavily upon me over the week, um, and it may be silly, but I feel the need to do so. You know, last week I made the common joke, and it's typical amongst um, fathers of young daughters, that for my sons, I hope that they marry good wives, and then for my daughter, um, who's six months old, I pray that Jesus comes back within the next 18 years. And we all had a good chuckle about that, and, and that's, you know, okay, he's a dad, haha, that's funny. I found that to be an unwise joke, though, and, and the more I reflected on this passage this week, um, I've actually come to want to repent for that. Um, we're studying a passage of Scripture about God's divine plan and His bringing of two people together in marriage. And so for me to make a joke like that actually is saying little about God's divine plan, and it's saying even less about my daughter. Um, and that's not good. <laughs> we shouldn't do that. Um, also, particularly for you young ladies in the congregation, uh, I don't want it to be said that marriage is good for you men and not for you women. Uh, that would be a very bad thing to do. Uh, because God has ordained marriage for men and for women. And I certainly don't want to insinuate that it is not for you. And then, you know, lastly, I got to thinking about it, as we'll see as the, the narrative continues in further chapters. Apart from my own salvation, one of the best things the Lord's given me is a wife. And I recognize that and appreciate that uh, and thank Him for that frequently. And so how could I deprive someone, if God calls my daughter to marriage, of a wife who would do for her husband what my wife does for me. So I ask for your forgiveness for making that joke last week. Um, while, again, nothing was necessarily wrong with it, it's just weighed heavily on me, particularly in light of the passage we're reading. So I do ask you to forgive me for that. But that being said, I, I think that one of the reasons that the Lord kind of brought that to my attention is what we're reading in this text. I think that this text speaks to that idea, that topic of marriage, the benefits, the blessings, the, um, the joys, and just the way in which marriage furthers His divine plan for our lives. You know, we, we got this long journey. Uh, the servant took a month trip to get to this land. He goes to the well. He asks God, God bless my efforts. God blesses his efforts. Rebecca comes to him. She fulfills the prophecies and the promises made. And he says, this is who I'm looking for. By the way, tell me, who, who is your family? And she goes, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm of the family of Abraham. And the servant praises God by God's grace. This is exactly who I want. And so she runs home, and then he follows. And that's where we pick up today, where now the, uh, another round of challenges come. She sees the benefit of what's taking place, but will her family um, uh, marriage and especially uh, marriage uh, practices in the Near East had some, um, some, some particulars to them. And so this decision wasn't solely upon her. It would have been upon her family. Uh, we know in our text it's through Laban, um, her brother. And I want to talk about that this morning. I want us to think about that. Um, and as I do so, I, I want three truths or three lessons to come forth from our text. And this will be more of a thematic sermon. Um, it's not as, as, as verse by verse as, as I normally do, but you know, looking at it in this way, I think we can really draw out some beautiful principles. Um, and first, the primary principle I want us to see is that God actively moves in the lives of mankind. God is not passive in the affairs of man, but He is an active participant. He is ordaining that which comes to pass. Secondly, uh, this morning I want us to see that trusting in God's will makes us into a responsive people. 
um, as we learn to love God, to love God's Word, as we learn to trust Him, that will drive us to obedience and speedy obedience, as we'll see in our text. And then lastly, um, I want us to see that um, the, the chief end of man, and I'm, I'm taking from the Shorter Catechism here, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And in this marriage, in this union, we see just that take place, the glory of God and the enjoyment of Him. And that'll conclude our lesson um, or our passage this morning. But let's consider first how God moves in the lives of mankind. And really, there's a lot of themes. There's more themes than we can cover this morning, more themes combined than last week and this week in this passage. But one theme that permeates all throughout, and it really comes to light as you read it as we did, is that God is sovereign. God's sovereignty over the affairs of man is very apparent in this passage. What's beautiful about this is, much like in the book of Ruth, God never speaks in this chapter. God never performs a miracle in this chapter. We don't even get a retelling or a reminder of the covenant, which you would expect in a, in a marriage like this, a particularly one that furthers the generations. That being said, how relatable is a passage like this? How relatable is the book of Ruth to us? For we live in a day where we may not feel we get the miracles. We may not feel that we get the, um, the, the audible voice from God, which we can hear from God. I want to be very clear about that. We open this book and we read. That's the Word of God speaking to us. You've heard from the Lord today. But how real is it that it's in those moments, in those decisions, it's in those little things, those day-to-day aspects of our lives that we may at times take for granted, but look at the whole, look at the big picture And we see, oh, the Lord has been moving. He did direct me this way. He did lead to this choice, to this decision, to this path for me. And that is seen all throughout this passage. The servant knows it well. He he says so very clearly twice. Verse 27, right before where we started. As for me, the Lord has led me in this way. And then in our text this morning, verse 48. I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord the God of my master, who has led me the right way. You see, the Lord has directed this servant to this house, to this woman, to this family, that His will would be done and that His people would be better for it. And let's look at some of the people and let's look at the Lord's direction. There's, there's some interesting ways this uh, is evident here. Let's look at Laban. Laban is Rebekah's brother. And we're not sure, we, we, we don't know if her father is dead, which is most likely the case because um, we're dealing with the brother and not the father, or is, if this is like a particular Near Eastern practice that we just don't fully understand. Um, it, it could be that it's just a cultural thing uh, that Laban's of the age, he's now the man of the house, if you will, and he's taken over the affairs. Or it could be that she has no, Rebecca has no father and he's acting in his stead. But he's the one whom uh, the servant has to interact with. And we find ourselves wondering then, what does he stand to gain? Why would Laban go along with this agreement? Why would he trade off Rebekah? What is his heart in the matter? Well, we don't have to wonder what his heart is in the matter. The text tells us. He ran toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of his sister, he went to, man, went to the man. 
And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? Love what one commentator said. Laban's actions are motivated by greed, not hospitality. His sister's virtue in this regard stands out more clearly in contrast with Laban's grasping materialism. The warmth of his welcome is prompted by the prospect of further enrichment by the as yet unidentified stranger. When Laban sees these strangers coming, what does he notice? He notices the gold. He notices the rings. He notices the camels. And I I didn't emphasize this enough last week, um, but this would be in our modern time, you see that like really, really expensive sports car. You, you see that, you know, one-of-a-kind, interesting paint job, and, and that person gets out, and you're like, wow, either they have a mountain of debt or they do something really, really um, well. That's the same thing here. Laban's like, 10 camels? Whoa, that is luxury right there. And so he, he sees the master, the servant coming, and, and immediately his eyes is fixated upon, oh, This is going to work out well. I like the way this is going. And yet, we we admit Laban is selfish, Laban is greedy, he is materialistic. And yet, wouldn't we also agree that those negative traits, we, we admit they're negative, are the very things God uses to promote this marriage union? See how God's providence is on display there. Laban's negative characteristics... God uses to achieve this marriage. How beautiful is it that God can even use our faults to accomplish His divine plan? And may we not forget that. You know, when we think of ourselves, we often are quick to think of our faults and our failures and our shortcomings. And we we find this inner dialogue, or at least I do, the Lord couldn't use someone like me with my problems, with my faults, with my failures. Sure He can. He does it all the time. It's evident here in our passage. He can use the greed of Laban to see the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. And, and, and we also see the, the God's hand upon the servant. You know, here's a beautiful summary. If you weren't with us last Sunday and you want to get a summary of verses 1 through 27, read what we just read from the servant. The servant pretty much retells the entire story. He holds nothing back. Now put yourself in his mind, though. Your job is to promote this marriage. You're to be um, the person that convinces, well, through the Lord, that convinces Laban that Rebekah should marry Isaac. Wouldn't you shape the narrative and like leave out some parts that are kind of less than ideal? And wouldn't you tell the parts that highlight certain aspects and uh, de-emphasize others? Like, wouldn't you leave out the part that said, you know, if it doesn't work out, if y'all don't agree, I can go home? That's not a good negotiation phrase, is it? An escape clause. But what does he do? He bears it all. He is open, he is honest, he is faithful. And again, by God's sovereignty and by God's divine will upon his life, he shows, here's my cards. I'll play with an open hand in front of you. And that does not deter Laban. That does not deter him. In fact, that honesty, that willingness to proclaim and profess the truth, even when it's not necessarily the most presentable, if you will, it, it leads Laban, and I love this, and Bethuel, they respond like this, this has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. 
the honesty, the integrity, the willingness to lay it all out leads Laban and leads Bethuel to say, this is of God. We cannot speak against it. How beautiful is God's divine will and His plan for our lives when it is so evident that we have to come to the conclusion, this is from you, God. All I can do is submit. And the Lord's hand is seen, and and there's more events, there's more moments in this passage we could talk about. Um, But I want to turn our attention away from how God is ordering things to how we respond. Because this is, this is very practical, in my opinion. It's when we hear the word of the Lord and we know His truth and we know His will, what do we do with it? And we find that in the second section. And I, I was thinking about this. You know, generally speaking, I'm a morning person. Um, it's just a personality thing. Now, I've learned as I've gotten older, the furthest distance I ever travel on a daily basis is from the bed to my feet on the floor. That's the hardest thing for me in the mornings is going that distance. But once my feet hit the ground, I'm good. I can get up, I can function, I can, I'm, I can be productive, um, and I can do it right from the start. Some of you have no idea what that's like. That's okay, because y'all like work in the late hours when it's dark outside. I don't know, I don't understand you either. But, you know, morning, I'm good to go. But all that pales in comparison to my childhood on Christmas morning. All that pales in the comparison on, as a child... Uh, on opening day of hunting season um, when I didn't have to set an alarm. I was going to wake up an hour before Christmas morning. I was going to wake up an hour before it was time to get up for hunting season. I was going to get ready. I may have slept in my clothes the next day. I was so eager, right? The, the, the excitement, the anticipation, the, the willingness to go and do that thing, to, to open presents or, or to go to the woods um, was so enticing to me, I just did it. That is how we should be toward God and God's worship. That is how we should be toward God's will. It, it, it shouldn't be, and, and, and I, I, I speak as someone you know, who has a family of, of younger kids, we should be excited when we get up on Sunday. Sunday morning should be, we're going to church. We get to go to the house of the Lord. When it's our prayer time, when it's our Bible study, and when it's our time of fellowship with other believers during the week, we should have in our hearts this attitude, I get to be with God and God's people. Unfortunately, due to sin and just our, our own struggles and weaknesses, it, it sometimes can be begrudging. Um, but... May God continue to work in our lives and work in our hearts to make us into a people that when the Lord says, go, we go. Because that's what you see here in the servant, and that's what you see here in Rebecca. You know, you've got the servant here, and um, the, the agreement is made. He came, he did a task, he accomplished it. Take her, she's yours, the Lord has spoken. They take a night's rest, because that was prudent. They eat up the next morning, and Laban's like, okay, we've got the deal done. Let's sit down, let's have a cup of coffee, let's have some breakfast. I want about 10 days to two weeks uh, just to spend some time with Rebecca. And then y'all are good. Now, we don't know if there was greed in that, if it was, you know, if I stay longer, I can get more out of them, or if it was just this genuine sense of I'm about to lose my sister, I need to make sure and bully her a few more times before before she goes. Um, No, that's, that's not true. But there's this desire to wait. There's this desire to hold on. But what does the servant say? How does he respond? What is his mind and his heart? No, my Lord, I must go and be about my father's business. I must do that which is set out before me. 
He, was, he had taken an oath before God and before his master that he would do this thing, and he would not rest until it was done. Oh, that that would be the case of our hearts when the Lord calls us to work, to serve, to do. That, that we would say to ourselves, I cannot enjoy this. I cannot rest. I cannot linger. I must go. And we see the same in Rebecca. Laban, he, he thinks he's got a, a, a trick up his sleeve. He said, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Let's leave it to Rebecca. We'll, we'll, let it, we'll let it be in her court. Probably thinking, oh yeah, she wants to stick around, spend some time with her family, you know, be there. But we get very few words, but what telling words they are. I will go. Now, why would Rebecca say such a thing? She's heard this whole transaction. She's been a part of it. They've determined and declared that this is of the Lord, that this is His will, and that this is the will of Him for her. And when she knows the will of God, how does she respond? So be it. If that's the will of the Lord, it will be my will too. What a heart. We don't hear a lot from Rebecca. We don't know a lot about her at this point, but this is very telling. For when God's will is apparent in her life, she responds in faith immediately. And oh, would that be our response. Again, through the servant and through Rebecca, we, we see people who know what God wants of them and carry it out with excitement, with joy, and with anticipation. Now, that's not to say that there's times in our lives where we shouldn't stop and seek discernment and seek understanding and seek clarity. There will be times when we shouldn't just act, but we should wait and listen and gather information. We can't let fear get in the way, nor let ridicule, nor the thought of anything else stop us from seeking the will of God. But when we know the Lord's will, let us not tarry in carrying it out. And here's the beauty of it, and this is where the, the passage, we, we round the, the final part of it. We say all of that, and we might find ourselves going, well, yeah, but that's going to be rough. That's going to be hard. That's going to be difficult. I mean, they've got a month-long journey back on camels. I don't imagine. I've never ridden a camel, um, but I've ridden a horse. I didn't enjoy it. Um, I can't imagine a camel's much better. To, 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 to say you're going to go meet your husband a month from now as you wander through this, this land, surely that's a miserable experience, right? And yet, what we see in the conclusion of our passage is that by obeying the word of the Lord, by serving Him, by seeking His will for our lives, there comes with it contentment, peace, and joy. Contentment, peace, and joy. And we see that through uh, the moment that, that Isaac and Rebekah meet. And before I, I speak to that specifically, we do need to address the fact that this marriage, this union, you, to see the intention of it, you actually have to go back. You have to go back to God's word to Abraham. What did he say to him over and over and over again? I will bless you. I will give you a people, an inheritance, a, a, a family of people who will worship me, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so God is fulfilling a promise not only to Isaac and not only to the servant, but also to Abraham. And as I, I, I often remind us, um, and it's, it's important that we keep this on the forefront of our minds, we are here today in fulfillment of this promise. We are blessings from this marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. If you are here in Christ, you are their descendants. And not only theirs, but Abraham and Sarah's. And so may we never forget, as we talk about genealogies and, and families and family trees, 
that we are still seeing the Lord bless that which He set out to do. And in their joy in our lives because of it. Don't we find joy and contentment and peace because of it? Absolutely. Now, seeing it in that way, let's zoom back into our story. When Rebecca hears that this is her husband-to-be, she's uh, made this journey, she's getting close, she sees a man working out in the field. The text says she dismounted from her camel, and the commentators loved this, because that's, that's not the best way to interpret that word there. Um, the, the more accurate description would just say that she fell off the camel. Um, but even that doesn't make sense of what happened. She was so excited, she got to the ground as quick as humanly possible. That would be, and now you see why they say dismounted, because that'd be hard to put in there. She said, I'm going to go to him. That's where I'm headed. That's, that's my husband, I'm, I'm going. As fast as I can get off this thing, she veils her face, which would have been a, appropriate due to culture, and she comes to him. And how does this interaction take place? Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, took Rebekah, she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. May we not take for granted, particularly in a, a culture of arranged marriage, that phrase right there, and he loved her. That was usually a consequence down the road. You usually got to that place, you spent enough time with someone, you're kind of like, okay, I can, I can put up with you. But right from the beginning... Right there at the start, he loved her. God's blessing upon their lives, upon their marriage, upon their union was love. And not just love, what does it also say? And he was comforted after his mother's death. She, she entered that tent at the marriage of Isaac and became the matriarch. She be, became one of the most powerful people in control of, of a lot of resources but what the text wants to impress upon us the most that the, the union of Isaac and Rebekah wasn't the power she possessed. It wasn't all that she gained. It's that she brought her husband love and she brought her husband comfort. Why? Because she submitted herself to the will of God. And isn't that the case for us? When we submit ourselves to the will of God, when we yield to His desires for our life, whatever it may be, we find love, we find comfort, we find contentment, we find peace, we find joy. That's why I titled this section, and I'll, I'll conclude with this, the Westminster Confession of Faith, Shorter Catechism. Question one asks, what is the chief end of man? What is our purpose for being? Why do we exist? And it answers, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And when we obey, when we submit, when we trust by faith, we bring glory to Him and we get to enjoy it. It's not hard, my friends. To submit yourself to God is not a difficult task. It's to say the one who knows best for your life is going to tell you what's best for your life. The one who cares for you more than you care for yourself is going to care for you. The one who knows you better than anyone else is going to direct your path and when we trust Him, He leads us down the right path every step of the way. We see this in this union, and it'll continue as we go through uh, the rest of the patriarchal narratives. And so may we trust in the Lord this day.
Let him direct our steps and know that he is good because he is God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may it be so of our lives. Oh, Lord, so many of us are, are in seasons or situations where we may feel a lack of joy, a lack of contentment, a lack of peace. Lord, may this passage challenge our hearts to ask, are we obeying God? Are we serving you? Are we fulfilling your commands? Are we living in obedience to your word? For far too often when we lack joy, it's because we lack obedience. And at the same time, Lord, can we understand, give us the, the wisdom to know our ability to obey, to serve, to submit. It doesn't even come from us, but from you. You, through the power of your Holy Spirit, give us that which we need to obey you, which in turn gives us the joy and commitment we crave and desire. Father, not through our works, but through yours. Not through our lives, but through the life of your Son. Help us to trust you, to let you direct our path, to serve you diligently, and to find peace and joy through it. We ask all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.